The word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, excited to spend some time here with a, a man that so many know, um, Jermaine Dupree. He is CEO and founder of uh, the record label So So Deaf, Grammy award-winning songwriter and producer, and an inductee in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And he is also the, uh, the founder of JD's Vegan. Uh, Jermaine, great to spend some time with you today. Uh, let, let, before we get into the background, uh, tell me sort of why, why this business for you? Um, it's not like, you know, you haven't reached, a, I think, a level of success that many would aspire to. So what was it about uh, being a vegan and also getting into the food industry that appealed to you most? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Well, like you said, I'm, I'm vegan. I've been I've been vegan for 16, going on 17 years, um, and um, it's naturally my you know it's my lifestyle. Um, so I tell people all the time, I made JD's vegan <laughs> for me basically because <laughs> uh, we we as vegans and the vegan community. Um, we lack in that area. Um, um, and it's funny because once I said that, and once I created JD Vegan, I see, you know, all kind of vegan ice creams popping up everywhere and this, that, and the third. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's a lack of care about, you know, um, any type of product in the vegan, in the vegan you know, vegan uh, arena. Um, I feel like it's, it's a lack of care in that in 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 our food area period so it's it's been something that i've been talking about since i became vegan and i started eating um at multiple different places in different cities and um just going around the world and seeing what people think about vegan and veganism uh period and saying okay it's a it's a void here it's a lot of places you know we just got a burger, you know what I mean? We just got one burger that, that are two, three, two burgers that people actually are starting to actually like and, and actually serve at multiple places, which is impossible and, and beyond. But prior to that, you know, me being vegan as long as I have, I was, I, you know, I mean, I've been vegan before those products was even in existence. So I was feeling the same way about burgers. It was used to be a, you know, uh, a vegan burger used to be um, just made of like fruits and vegetables, and like that's what the burger, the patty was made of that. And I used to be like, "This is not, this is not. Um, it's got to be something better than this." So I, I just been on this page for a minute. Um, I never actually thought that I was gonna create a brand that was gonna go to Walmart and be, you know, a successful food. Um, brand as it is and all of that. I never saw that um, going all the way and happening like that, but I, I definitely have been talking about this for the last 10 years. Are there any parallels, uh, Jermaine, to when you started in the music industry and you obviously discovered Criss Cross when you think about 
you know, sort of, it was a passion. You kind of, all of a sudden you, you wake up and my goodness, now you've got a brand that's in Walmart and expanding nationwide. And when you were younger at that point, finding them, and then you establish so, so deaf, like, are there any parallels to, is it your personality? Is it just something in you that says sort of, why not? Talk with me about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the guy that, I mean, I'm, well, I'm not the guy, but I'm a guy that wakes up every day and says, you know, I look around and I see what's missing automatically, right? Same thing like Criss Cross. Criss Cross was, I, if, you know, I guess I can go on record and say the first kid rap group ever, right? Um, at least successful anyway. Um, and that was the thing. I looked around and I saw, you know, rap being what rap is to kids and what rap is to younger, to the younger generation. Um, it's funny to me always because I, as I got older, um, the younger rappers would say to me, oh, gee, you know, it's a different world out here. It's a young man's game. And I'm like, you don't even understand that I'm the person who actually started <laughs> young people like the young people in rap, right? So it's, it's just, a, it's a funny thing because people don't, yeah, I, 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 my thing is to, I pay attention to what's missing. Um, and that's always been my, um, I feel like that's always been my niche in, in the music business because I, you coming from the South and not having the, the press and the, um, the, the already want to be a part of the music game coming from New York and LA. Um, me being from Atlanta, I was already slighted if I tried to go down that road. It seemed like people was, you know, I was, I was, I was trying to be popular from Atlanta when Atlanta wasn't cool and when the South wasn't popular and when there wasn't no trap music and it wasn't, you know, futures and it wasn't no none of these. I was the guy that was in Atlanta trying to make sure people was paying attention to Atlanta and people weren't, they didn't care to pay attention to Atlanta. So I had to figure out my way to make people care and pay attention to what was happening in this city. So um, I learned very quickly that I had to find my own niche and what was my niche compared to the other people that was coming out, putting out records at that time. What were you like as a kid, Jermaine? I mean, I, I when I hear you talk, I it sounds like you are, you have an insatiable need to understand and there's a curiosity that sort of walks with you uh, on a moment by moment basis. And that helps you in looking at sort of what's missing. Were you like that way as a kid? Were you always sort of wondering what's missing, curious? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Like I said, I think, I think this is a designed thing that I realized had to happen in order for me to, coexist with everything else that was going on. I know you mentioned a lot in, in press and you have throughout the years, just this uh, symbiotic, this, this relationship you have with Atlanta. What does Atlanta mean to you when you think about all that you've done in your career now, what you're doing uh, obviously with JD's vegan. It's just the actual definition of cultural. Um, you know, I hear people use this term so much now in, in hip hop, uh, but I don't know if people really understand what that actually means um, or, or have actually lived the definition of it. I actually am the true definition of cultural connection, um, meaning city, 
and music running hand in hand. Um, I, I, you know, I put out Crisscross at a time when, like I said, um, Atlanta wasn't, nobody wasn't thinking about Atlanta. Um, and still to this day, Crisscross don't actually get credit for putting Atlanta hip hop in the space that it's in right now. And I'm not saying that they did, but what I'm saying is that we were the forefathers, <laughs> which sounds crazy to me, but we were the forefathers of, well, I will say successful rap in the city because before Crisscross, no rappers in Atlanta sold a million, two million, three million records. So, you know, um, and that's a, that's a stat that never gets talked about. I guess, it doesn't really matter, I guess, but that's one that, that ties me culturally to answer your question. That's the one that ties me culturally to this city like no other, because the people that actually are here or that's from here that understand that and watch this journey of hip hop become successful in, in, in the South or in Atlanta period. Um, they all have this one common thread where they say, Crisscross was my first tape. This was the first concert I went to. This was da 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 da. This was whatever it is. It's something that was there first that involves something so so death, right? And that and that to me is the death jam of New York. And that's to me that's that's the ruthless of LA. That's that's these things are culturally um, intertwined in people's lives, and it'll never go anywhere. Let's talk about being an entrepreneur. Uh, I think that that term, my opinion is that term when you and I are, we're in similar age. When we were growing up, I don't think people really knew what that word even meant. I mean, it was sort of culturally, people just worked where they worked or they followed in their parents' footsteps or whatever that looked like. Uh, but now we're of generations where everybody's an entrepreneur, even teenagers, right, are thinking about what they want to do and how many businesses they want to start. When did you realize that you were an entrepreneur? When did that word have meaning for you? And, and what, how has that changed over time with success? Um, I knew that I was wanted to be something. I didn't even know what entrepreneur that word was. <laughs> but at 12, at 12 years old, I knew that I wanted to be something. Um, I was going to school and I was doing my schoolwork, but then I went to, I went on tour at 12 um, as a dancer. And when I went on tour at 12, I realized, um, well, one, I, I, let me take it back. I didn't realize, when I went on tour at 12 and my mother and my father were kind of arguing back and forth about me going on tour because my mother was more concerned about my schooling than my father was. And my father was like, you know, everything's gonna be cool. We're gonna get him a tutor and everything is gonna work out, right? Now, you know, take you back to Atlanta, 1983 or 84. Uh, yeah, 1984 in Atlanta, there was no kids going on tour at the age of 12 and 13. So the Atlanta public school system didn't accept credits or work from a tutor. But we didn't notice. We was just, you know, my father was just believing that he had put me on a path that was going to work. My mother didn't didn't trust in the path. Um, 
I didn't know what the hell was going on. I just was like, I'm go- I'm getting out of school. I'm going to go on tour. You were happy. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, you know, Atlanta, as we speak about it, wasn't prepared for this lifestyle. Um, they had seen they hadn't seen anybody else come through the system asking for permission or asking the system to um, allow to the credits or to the grading to be accepted in this system. So I went on tour and the first year that I went on tour, I came back to Atlanta and we, um, I had a full, by the way, I had a full tutor paid everything tutor paid person that was out there on the road with me actually doing all my work. And I came back and they tried to, um, flunk me. Um, they tried, they said, we can't accept these. We can't accept your grades. Now, I don't know why we didn't know this prior to me doing all this work, but anyway, um, like I said, I'm, I'm 12. I'm, I'm young. I don't know. I'm not having these conversations, (laughs) but I come back and they try to, you know, they say, well, you know, we can't accept your grades. So if you, if you come back to public school, you're gonna, we're gonna have, you're gonna have to repeat sixth grade. And I was, I, at that point, I went from turning 12, I went from being 12 years old to 21 years old immediately because my, my mentality, I had been on tour. So I saw what I wanted at that point. I saw the life that I wanted. I didn't know that I was going to make music. This is prior to me making music. This is prior to me making records. This is prior to me rapping anything. I was just dancing, but I saw other people doing what I thought I loved, which was music. And at that point, I just started saying, I got to get myself together. I got to start. I got to do something else because school, obviously, they've messed my schooling up. This is not I'm not getting ready to go back because I was, you know, like I said, I was a I wasn't a bad kid. I was a kid that was focused on doing what I had to do to stay on the on the tour. So I was doing all my work. Um, Mind you, I didn't have money. I wasn't I didn't have anything else to do but schoolwork and then perform. And I wasn't even a I wasn't even a star. So it was like I was on the tours just like a I I, I always say like a clown for the circus because <laughs> I wasn't even really like it was just like a guy that just go out there and buy time. So, you know, buy time for the show. Regardless of all of that, what it, it taught me so much, it, it gave me all my relationships with Run DMC, Houdini, Grandmaster Flash, all of these New York guys and hip hop. And it put me dead in the face of hip hop in an era where you can never be taught better. Um, in the era that I learned, you know, DJing, graffiti, MCing, everything. I learned it all. And I, coming from Atlanta, this is a this is one of the things that I feel like God put me there and said, you have you have to go through this test. This is the school that you need to go to in order for you to walk this path that you don't know that you're going to actually be on. Um, so that's that's kind of how that happened. And it was just like, um, at that point, I came back home and my mentality was to do things that were entrepreneurial, I guess, right? And I started, I started trying to cut people's grass in my neighborhood and I... I had I found a friend in the neighborhood and I was like, listen, we're gonna 
start cutting these people's grass. We're gonna go to different houses and see if we can cut their grass. And um, I didn't even have a lawnmower at the time. I just started, <laughs> uh, my mind was just thinking like this. I didn't even have a lawnmower. And um, I remember this, we went to a house. We didn't even have a lawnmower and the lady said yes. Right, it was a house like two, three doors down from my house, and she said yes, and we didn't have a lawnmower. Now, uh, my mother did have a lawnmower, but I hadn't asked my mother if I could use the lawnmower to start going around and using the service. So, once the lady said yes, I think I'm guessing that's all I needed mentally to 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 push me to go to the next level because I wasn't gonna ask my mom if I didn't have the work. I guess basically, um, and. Once the lady said yes, then I came uh, came back home. I asked my mom and said, um, can we use the lawnmower? We're going to start cutting people's yards around the house. I mean, around around the neighborhood. And mind you, I was saying yards with an S, and I only had one person that said yes. But I was in that space totally. That's the space that I was in. And sure enough, one turned into two, and two turned into five. It, was, it never got to be crazy. Um, but it was it was it was a taste of something that I liked. It, it was a taste of me asking for work, doing the work, and getting paid. And at that point, that's when my mind was just like, "Listen, I gotta I gotta change. I gotta do something." And I just started, um, you know, going through the channels of hip hop and DJing and producing. Just became like a it just became second handed and. Um, the same thing with this producing. I I met these two girls, which would become my first group signed to a major label called Silk Times Leather. And I met these two girls on tour with Houdini. And they were the girlfriends of Houdini. And um, I met them on tour and, and they told me they was from Atlanta. So I was like, oh, wow. And then we, the more that we talked, we just kept talking. And then I was like, you guys should come, you know, pick me up. Now, mind you, I didn't have a car. I was... You know, I think I was 14. I was like, you should come, you should come pick me up and take me around the city, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to figure out a way to get out. Um, I don't have a car. These girls are a little bit older. They got cars and da, da, da. So they I became like their little brother. And I learned that they wanted to rap. And out of nowhere, I'm like, y'all should let me make y'all's record. <laughs> and <laughs> you'll figure out the details later, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't have no, I have no equipment. I had never made a record for anybody, but it was just the thing that I, like I said, I was on that page from wanting to cut grass and I thought that I could do it. Um, I just needed a vessel or somebody to give me the opportunity or, and, and you saying yes was basically the motivation to make me do it. So the girls agreed like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll let you do it. And I'm like, to this day, I don't know what made them say yes, because I've never made a record in my life at this time. I don't have not one credit, but they say yes. They went along with it. Um, and sure enough, I got them a major deal. They got signed to Geffen Records. Um, and I actually did produce the entire, wrote and produced the entire album at 16 years old. <laughs> so... I, I think it just, it was just, I, you know, I, I, I say God is, is, is God-given um, entrepreneurial attitude. I just had to, like, crank it up. 
let, let's talk about uh, entrepreneurs. So a lot of entrepreneurs, Jermaine, there is this um, this fear that they they seem to that that is almost fuel for them, right? That they fear going under. They fear their idea is not going to work. They fear they're not going to have enough funding or buy-in. Um, this anxiety. I don't get that sense from you. I mean, there is, I would imagine that those young ladies were like, yeah, he's young, but you know, it's like this confidence that you had, um, were there time. And when you think about it, I mean, you're human, I would imagine you would still maybe, you know, go to sleep at night, feeling a little bit of anxiety. Like, could you pull it off? Um, talk a little bit about that. No, you know what's funny is I didn't have that then. I have it now. I, I had it last night. I was having, I haven't had, I was having the worst anxiety in my life last night. Um, I have it now. I didn't have it then, but I definitely have it now. So what is it like now? I mean, because I, I think people who don't understand um, the kind of success that you've earned and realized. I mean, what is anxiety like for you when you have that last night? You know, keeping success is harder than achieving success. And I don't know that people even understand that. Like uh, people, people stumble upon success all the time. People can write a book, people could come up with a recipe and their restaurant explodes and people could write a song and they write a song, but, and it goes number one, the, the, the gift, after that is how many times can you do it, right? And that's the thing that um, I was told by Babyface when I was became Jermaine Dupree, the young cocky producer. I met Babyface, and Babyface told me, he said, "Oh, you're the guy with the little crisscross song," and he said it like that, and it really disturbed me because I was, I was young, I was getting money. And I was, and I had my first number one record, and I'm like, little crisscross record, like who, like you know, of course it's Babyface. I'm not like I don't want to say who are you, but I'm like, <laughs> it's Babyface, and I'm just like, are you? Wh why you gotta try to say little, right? Because it just felt like he was trying to be little what I was doing, and he could tell that I was disturbed. So he he went on and told me, he said, listen, Jermaine, you know, it's cool to have one a number one record, believe me, but. It's even cooler when you can do it multiple times. And when he told me that, my excitement and my celebration for Criss Cross immediately stopped that day. I didn't celebrate Criss Cross anymore after that day. I just started thinking about next. I started thinking about what's next. I started thinking about how do I continue this on? What can I do to get myself back to number one? And that's just always been the race from that point on. My mind is always in that space. So as I go and move forward right now, I, I, I start having anxiety because I'm like, you know, of course I've done it. And of course, it's, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I've done whatever. But Jermaine, can you do it again? Jermaine, <laughs> is it possible to do it again? Do you find it's hard to celebrate success? I find that people that I talk to, it's like I interviewed um, one of the founders of Zappos, right? And he talked about just this challenge that everybody expects him to have another billion dollar idea. Um, and I interpret that as it must be challenging to celebrate success if you are having to then think that very next day or in that moment, man, I got to do it again. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's that's the disgusting part of this life because it is. It's not. It's 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 sad that that um you, you don't get to celebrate it the way other people the way, like when people win the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals and the way they celebrate and they you know and they go to Disney World the next day and all of this extra stuff and it's just such a celebration. Um, if I go to Disney World after getting a number one record, people will start to say, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, this could possibly be the end, right? It just feels like, I don't know, and it might be, like I said, it might be just my mind telling me that, but for the most part, that's what I've seen. It also is a pattern of people that are in my business that just can't keep up with the success that they actually have. So it's it's already written, kind of, that, this is going to happen to you, Jermaine. And, you know, I wake up every morning with the mindset that, no, this is not going to happen to me. This is not what's getting ready to happen. This is what people think is going to happen. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. Yeah, and I and my mentality is just is is just it's just go, go, go. So, you know, as we, you know, last night I was in the studio working, trying to finish this new Usher album. And even in the mindset of trying to finish this. It's the things and the conversations that we have about these records. And I'm just, and I just started getting extremely nervous and I could feel anxiety. And I was like, oh, damn, this is, this is anxiety. I think this is, I never knew what that was, <laughs> but I'm, I could feel it. I could start feeling it. Um, I start feeling this nervousness. I start feeling this uneasiness. I start feeling this, um, concerned about everything because at that point not that that triggered me to start worrying about jd's vegan it triggered me to start worrying about celebrating mother's day it triggered me to it just made me start thinking about feeling uneasy about everything that's happening in the next 10 days i think the transparency is incredible for people who i think people have this false sense jermaine that someone who's reached a level of success like you, that it's just, you're like, you're made out of Teflon, like nothing bothers you. You know, you're just, you know, we see what we see in the magazines and that kind of thing, but it's actually, no, you're human and you go through the same emotions and challenges that we all do. What do you think the lesson is for entrepreneurs who are at the beginning of their journey? They're walking around the mall meeting their crisscross. Like, what is the advice in being able to handle that? It's like, I spoke to a young entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago who said, oh gosh, my cash flow, I couldn't believe how much money I spent last year on contractors, right? And I said, you know, man, you just move that decimal point because you got to be able to build up that muscle to be able to handle that as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think, um, well, I think, I think the one thing I will say is that you can't have, like you said, it's a it's a thing that you since you interview more you you seen the no fear and oh you said it is a fear most of them they have a fear in the beginning and I don't have the fear well I'm just I think that they 
they feel like there's this gap. And I, I, I would guess that what you go through, right, in your day and feeling stressed like you did last night is very much what like someone who is just starting out as an entrepreneur, but they think you don't experience that, right? They see you in the celebrity vein, right? So it's like, oh, he doesn't, it doesn't bother him. He'll just write another, you know, incredible record and, and that sort of a thing. I'm just saying those stresses, those anxieties are very much the same from a young entrepreneur that's just starting out. And I'm wondering sort of what is the advice that you would give an entrepreneur who's trying to understand how to build that muscle to be able to deal with all of these stresses? Um, to pay attention to what actually has made you feel good mm. because you're going to actually have more moments that make you feel bad than you have <laughs> moments that make you feel good. So in, in, in your search in your search for trying to feel better, just remember the things that did make you feel good in the process of journey and in the, in, the, in the journey moving forward, because that's one thing that I have to do constantly. And it's, it's crazy when you have a career as long as mine, because you, you tend to forget because it happened 10 years ago and it happened 20 years ago and it happened, whatever you tend to forget. What was the thing that, what was that thing that made you, that kept you feeling sane and kept you feeling happy. Um, and you have to just go find that. You have to go back and find that. And it might not be a big thing. And you got to hold on to it for as long as you can. But but knowing that you got to keep moving. But you find that. And then you try to find something that resembles that in whatever it is that you're trying to do new. So if you find it the first time, you just got to go back and find it. Keep finding that one thing the second time. And if you, I believe if you start, it's just like going to the gym. But people believe that they work out and they their muscles get bigger and their body becomes more athletic or whatever it is because they go to the gym every day. Um, I believe you have to do your brain, you do your brain the exact same way. If you uh, repeat things that, made you feel good or you repeat the wins of your life, your mind becomes trained to win. Your mind becomes trained to find the win regardless of what else is going on. And that's what I believe I learned how to do without even knowing that that's what I was doing. I started trying to find the win out of everything that what's going on in my life, whether it's, whatever, you know, and by the way, like I said, if 10 things are coming to me bad, one, one of those, one thing is coming to me that's good. So you find the win and it's like, if you, if you put all of your energy into that one winning situation, um, your mind starts to believe that that's what it's supposed to go after. So you start chasing you just start chasing the wind. In my case, definitely. Let's talk about the word trust, Jermaine. I think when entrepreneurs start, in general, you almost feel like you have to ask people, like, could you help me, right? I want to start this business. And you feel almost apologetic because you need the help as an entrepreneur. And then as you start to get success, you find that people want to work with you or be around you for different motivations. And sometimes they're not the best motivations. 
how have you balanced trust as you have achieved success? And how does that relationship with trust impact the work that you do today? Um, trust is bad. I don't trust many people at all. <laughs> That's the reality, um, huh? You don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't trust people. I don't trust people at all because I don't, I actually don't believe like you just said, you just said when you, in the beginning, you're asking people for help. And then once you become successful, they want to be a part of what you're doing. Right. And me starting off so young, I saw so much of that and understood how it not being a true friend or a true partner or a true relationship, how much of that it was, it was, it was not a true situation. It was just the, Oh, Jermaine, uh, I see what you're doing. Oh, but you also was a person that was not 100% down with this idea in the beginning, you know? So I just, you know, for me, it's hard to, tr it's hard to trust people. It's hard for me to find people I trust. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to allow people to even work for me based on that because I can't always believe, I don't always believe that they're going to do what um, I believe they should be doing for me, right? I believe they might do something that's for them through me, but I don't believe that they're going to do what I need done for me. So I feel like that's one of my bad traits, I think, maybe because I don't, I don't, I don't hand off a lot of things. I'm pretty much hands-on on damn near everything that's going on in my life. You know, you said something earlier, a couple of things. I'm just curious as to your reflection on this. So you, you went through Atlanta public schools and you're 12 or 13 years old. And they say, Jermaine, you're going to have to repeat a grade. Right. And you said you went from 12 to 21, basically overnight. Right. Yes. And that changed your mindset. Then you talked about baby face and that whole thing about, you know, <laughs> Hey man, you're the guy with the, the quote unquote, little uh, crisscross record. And that conversation, it just, changed overnight for you. Do you look back and think about these sort of pivotal moments that have, because I think that's a talent, whether you've thought about that or recognized it, but I don't know if a lot of people have the, that constitution to be able to take information and in that moment pivot in such a dramatic way. Do you think that that's something that is either necessary or something that an entrepreneur should strive to be able to do and stomach? Because that takes a lot of courage. I mean, it's easy for me to say, because I'm hearing you talk about it. You're probably not thinking of it that way, but how do you look at that? Um, I think everyone should be able to, not even just entrepreneurs. I think that everyone should, should, should learn that because what Babyface told me was actually what I needed to hear that nobody else was telling me. Um, and you, you have to, we all have to learn when to listen um, because we hear everything, by the way, we don't, we, we all hear everything, but learning when to listen to what we hear is, is a thing, you know, and I, although I was cocky at this young age and although I was like, you know, I thought I was the shit and I was this, then the third, I, I also, I also was listening because I, at not one moment, like I said before, I, I did say, I mean, it is baby face, right? So it's like, 
what he's telling me I haven't done yet, you know? And if you, if you pay attention to that in itself and you're listening to someone speak to you that's done way more than you and that's done what they're basically telling you to do or telling you what you need to do, they've done it multiple times and you haven't done it at all. That's what becomes the subject, right? That's what became my subject. And that's, that's basically how I look at life um, moving forward. Um, every time um, I encounter a situation where it feels like I should be listening more than I should be reacting or, you know, moving forward with what I'm doing, um, I start rerunning what the conversation was in my head and hearing, hearing these little points like, oh, okay, he told me this for a reason. He told you this for a reason. You, you, <laughs> you need to start focusing. And by the way, when Babyface told me this, I had a label deal. I had just got my label deal, social death, and I didn't have an artist. And, you know, majority of people in my position, they get the same thing. They get a label deal because of their success of something else. And they don't have artists to fulfill the label. They don't even have, they just get a label based on their success. Um, and they, they get the opportunity to do based on the success, but they're not prepared for the success to continue. And like I said, Babyface was sent to me to tell me this so that I could go find escape and I could start, I could stop thinking about crisscross. So in that whole process, five to six, in that conversation, five to six things that you asked me today actually happened in that conversation. I. I learned that if I want to be successful at what I'm doing, celebrating my win is not the way to get there. That's the first thing that I learned. And that's the first thing that I stopped doing. At that day, I stopped celebrating crisscross. And that was the beginning of the question that you asked about celebrating. You, you don't have no time to celebrate. You don't have, you know, you did it, cool understand that people are going to look at you and say okay cool and the more the bigger it is i thought the bigger it is the easier it got as far as people believing that you could do it again but the bigger the success creates the lower uh belief that you can do it again isn't that <laughs> that's the irony isn't it yes that's the crazy part. The, and, and that's what that's what that's the part that was happening to me. And that's the anxiety that I was having last night because Usher um has sold more records than any <laughs> other male RB artist besides Michael Jackson um to date that's still alive. So a little pressure there. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pressure there. It's like it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. Um, meanwhile, I just had a number one record with Ari Lennox called Pressure. <laughs> uh, but, 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 and, and thinking of that, right? Like the Ari Lennox record just went number one, um, I think two months ago. And 
it doesn't even feel like it was the number one record to me because I'm in this space with Usher and I'm in this space with another artist and I'm already in this space of just like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And, you know, um, yeah, I had a number one record, uh, but <laughs> I'm over here trying to figure this out. <laughs> if, you know? if, Jermaine, if I were to spend some time with Babyface, what do you think he would share with me about if he, if he recalled that conversation that you had that he had with you years ago that seemed to be so instrumental in your in your path, let alone your success. What do you think he would would say about you as an entrepreneur? Um, I'm not I'm not sure. I don't I, I would hope that he would even remember the conversation because he said it to me so effortlessly that I'm not sure he would even remember it. Um, it doesn't like I said, it doesn't seem like. It just, that seemed like that was his mind space, period. It doesn't seem like he was like trying to say something to me. It would seem like he would have said that to anyone at the time. It was just so fluent and it wasn't like him thinking of anything. It was just, you know, his, 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 his conversation with one producer to the next. So I'm not really sure what he would, um, I'm not really sure what he would say. Um, I I would hope that he's paid attention to me saying this multiple times and how much, you know, and how much it, it has guided me to this space that I'm in. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. As, as you now, you know, uh, continue to expand um, JD's vegan. We think about being an entrepreneur. Is there, and we use music as a backdrop to that. Is, is there a rhythm to being an entrepreneur that, that feels very musical to you? Um, yeah, without a doubt, it's, 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 um, you got to keep the beat. You got to keep the beat up. Um, because people don't understand slow music. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you got to keep the beat up. Slow music in the business arena feels like you're losing ground. Slow music in the music business feels like you don't understand the assignment upbeat music and the beat moving and the beat pumping feels like you have the eye of the tiger to those that's watching but if you slow the beat down and you slow the music down just for a second like i said people automatically believe that you can't sustain the success um, and I don't, I mean, I think this is, a, this is, by the way, this is, this is something that goes through out every genre of life, you know, um, in sports, you know, with LeBron James, it's like, he went to the playoffs eight years in a row, right? Eight years in a row with three different teams, um, whether he won a lot, he still was always in the playoffs. I mean, in the finals. He went to the finals eight years in a row. No other player has done this with three other teams. Um, and at some point, you, as a person, you just want to slow the beat down. You just do. You just want to, that's just a natural thing. If you, you know, if you like music, you like, you, at some point, you like slower paced music whether you're driving home at night or whatever it is you want something you want to just slow the pace down you just just for you just for a second and 
in that one second of you slowing the pace down is when everybody else's minds start to unravel and pay attention to the beat changing and saying, oh, he's old and he's tired. Oh, he's over. He's, he's, we've seen the best days of him, you know, oh, he's this age and da 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 da. That's basically um, the same thing happened to me. You know, people say the same thing. I'm turning 50 this year and people believe that, you know, they've seen the best of Jermaine Dupree. Um, Jermaine Dupree believes that Quincy Jones made Thriller when he turned 50. I don't think people even understand that. Like, <laughs> Quincy, <laughs> Quincy Jones made Thriller when he was 50. That And Thriller became the biggest selling album in the history of music. This man made this album when he was 50. That's my idol. So I, I believe that, one, I believe that I'm, a million steps behind Quincy and two, I'm trying to chase that energy that he had when he was 50. So that's what people should understand what my mindset is, but I know that they are probably looking at it saying, uh, you know, the music slowed down. So the beat has changed. He's that, he's doing. And, and by the way, for me, the beat changing for me is the JD's vegan because comes it's coming from left field so they don't even know what the tempo of the beat is it just doesn't feel like the music business so it feels like i've transferred my energy from music into something else because i'm not the music guy that they think i used to be right so it's that you so you have all of those things coming so now that's what i'm saying so that's that also builds into the anxiety because I hear all of that chatter and I know that. Has the food industry been welcoming to you, Jermaine? Or like, does celebrity in one space hinder you or, or does it make it more beneficial? Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, the food industry, I don't, I'm not really sure. You know, I don't know what, no, I haven't seen pe many people from the food. And I believe that's because I'm vegan, right? And like I said, in the beginning, vegans don't get, we don't, we haven't gotten that much love in our own space, period, you know? Um, so um, from a vegan community, yes, people are ecstatic, right? And, and people are, um, they talk about, you know, they, they love what I'm doing. But the, but the, the one thing, the, the one thing that I've noticed no one is paying attention to with JD's Vegan is the fact that I have change the narrative of hip hop um, for the first time in hip hop where JD's vegan is not negative. JD's vegan is not unhealthy. JD's vegan is not something that you shouldn't be putting in your body. Um, JD's vegan is not something that um, can damage your body down the road. And I know this statement's gonna be, you know, People, I'm sure before I even say this, people hate these type of statements because it feels like I'm attacking people, but I'm not. Before I even say this, I want to make sure I'm not, make sure I'm clear. I'm not attacking anybody in hip hop, but I do want people to understand everything in hip hop is dark. Um, it's gun violence, it's alcohol use, um, 
you know, majority of things that sold in hip hop are not good for you as a person. You know, when we talk about alcohol, you know, me, I had an alcohol brand and, you know, all of most of all of the rappers have alcohol brands, right? It was like things that is alcohol and now now it's weed brands because weed is legal and everything is basically still uh, from the dark side of life. And I say that I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, everything is dark. <laughs> everything's everything's on the dark side of life. Um, and everything is, you know, people say, well, I mean, not weed, probably weed. I mean, all the weed heads probably hate me for that, but it's not, it can damage you, but it's not the best of the best for you as a person, right? So here comes something to hip hop that's created through hip-hop that's brought to you by hip-hop that's the heartbeat of this brand is a hip-hop is hip-hop um and it's healthy and it's something that's a little bit more on the jedi side as far as as opposed to the, <laughs> the dark side and it's not really that's not i don't think people have taken that into consideration yet or even paid attention to that um that's one of the things that I I want to really, really accomplish with this JD's Vegan is to make sure that people do understand in my community, high blood pressure and eating bad and um, people dying before 70 because of high blood pressure and not having the right diet and this, that, and the third, um, I can help you in that area based on what I'm doing here on JD's Vegan. And it's definitely a different challenge, but that's that's definitely what I, you know, that's my goal. And that's what I, one of the goals that I, you know, tend to um, stick with and in, in creating more um, foods and everything in the, in the, in this space. Uh, very powerful, Jermaine. Um, and I appreciate the transparency. Uh, let's close with this. You've been incredibly kind with your time today with all that you've got going on. Uh, my apologies to Usher. <laughs> um, how do you label you? If I, if someone's to label you, are you, are you a songwriter? Are you an entertainer? Are you an entrepreneur? Are you, you tell me what best describes you? I'm new. And I, and I, <laughs> and I realized, this. I love that. <laughs> I, I realized I was new when I was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame because Jay-Z was the first rapper to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which was mind-blowing to me when he got inducted. And then this, the year after he was inducted, I was inducted. So I became the second rapper to be inducted to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And when I went into that room, I stopped for a second and just looked around the room. And here is an institution that's been going for 40, maybe 50 plus years. So in 40 to 50 plus years, that room had never seen anyone like Jermaine Dupree. Like Babyface, even when you talk about bring back Babyface, no one in that room had ever written a number one rap record and a number one R&B record. These guys, you have, they've written R&B songs and they've written great 
country records and they've written great pop records and they all fit in that space. This guy wrote a great pop song. This guy wrote a great R&B song. This guy wrote a great country record. Jermaine Dupree wrote Jump and Jermaine Dupree also was a writer on Always Be My Baby, We Belong Together, You Make Me Want to Confessions. I've written number one rap records and I've written number one pop records and I've written number one R&B records. And when a lot of people challenged me being in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and I realized that they never broke down that because one, you don't, you don't understand that you're looking at something new if nobody tells you, you know, you just believe that it's the same as everything else because, you know, until we only, we only know the word new because it's, you know, it's advertised. This is something new. This is that, that, that. but so I'm not advertising something new, but I'm 100% new compared to whatever people think about me. That's what I feel like, you know, even with this JD's vegan, what I just described about JD's vegan compared to a liquor brand or a weed company or this is new. It's something that's completely new compared to what you've seen before. And that's, I believe like that's the, that's my marching orders to continue to stay new. And by the way, that will drive you crazy trying to be new and find new every time is the hardest, might be the hardest job in the world. But that's, that's who I am, new. Well, Jermaine, I find you to be incredibly transparent um, and humble. And I think entrepreneurs can learn a lot from you because you're very approachable in the way in which you communicate your success and really your journey in that regard and your stick-to-itiveness. So it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch the growth uh, an expansion of JD's vegan. And uh, I just appreciate the time to, to learn more about uh, another human being that cares about others in the world and is willing to put themselves out there. So thanks so much, Jermaine. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.